analysis, and reaction. Here is NL News Director Shane Woodford on 610 AM. Welcome to the Woodford Show, an overcast gray day here in Kamloops. Uh, we got a lot of great guests for you today, including Green Party leader Andrew Weaver on that controversy that's plaguing the legislature. And then the same controversy, but flipping the script, Acumen Law's Kyla Lee with a bit of a different take. We'll also talk to the BC Cattlemen's Association's Kevin Boone over a very uh, unusual and rare strain of uh, bovine tuberculosis that's popped up apparently in a, a cattle herd uh, down in the Nicola Valley. Uh, but starting off the show, we're going to talk to the Canadian Taxpayers Federation's Chris Sims on this legislature controversy and a bucket load of taxpayer money getting squandered and thrown out the door. It's really unbelievable stuff. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. How are you? Oh, okay, although as uh, the speaker had promised, I've still got dry heaves. <laughs> yeah, it was certainly something. So uh, why don't we dive in right there? I mean, uh, this is uh, firmly in your domain of uh, how we should be uh, spending taxpayer money in the most responsible way. I would suggest this is the mere opposite of that. So as you kind of drill down into these details and sift through the 76-page report of unbelievable things, uh, what's your general take? Keeping in mind, of course, that these as of right now are allegations and we haven't yet officially heard back uh, from the people accused of this misspending, um, the very idea that officers of the legislature could spend taxpayer dollars without accountability, without oversight, and without them posting their receipts online for all of us to see for years and years on end is outrageous. Uh, every nickel of that money is coming from taxpayers. It's coming from you, it's coming from me, it's coming from your listeners, it's coming from our neighbors. Um, the idea that that money could then be used to buy something as bizarre or frivolous as a wood splitter or to pay for a trip to London to buy a hat <laughs> or, you know, it's just mind-blowing. And yeah. so I was speaking with my predecessor, Jordan Bateman, who worked on the issue of transparency at the legislature for many years. And I know MLAs now need to quarterly post their receipts, but the notion that officers of the legislature aren't subject to this same thing is just wrong-headed. We need full transparency. Yeah, the question, though, is how do you do that? I mean, MLAs do do post their expenses. And in this case, we had a situation where in 2012 they did an overhaul, uh, headed up by, ironically, Craig James, uh, to prevent ostensibly the behavior that we're seeing today. So now we have a couple of guys at the top who are alleged to have uh, essentially created the rules and then, you know, completely uh, danced around them to kind of do what they want. Uh, so if we can't trust the rule makers, how do we construct a system where we ensure taxpayer money is being spent accountably? Yes, exactly. Uh, I think it, uh, the answer is is that we don't allow rulemakers and the offices of those rulemakers to be exempt from those rules. They need to be subject to them exactly the same way that MLAs are subjected to them. So that means they need to take pictures of their receipts. Everybody's got a smartphone nowadays. Send it to their staff, and that staff needs to post it on the Internet. So that way, uh, you and I and anybody else who's concerned about our dollars being spent in Victoria can look up and see 
what that officer of the legislature is spending money on, where and when. It's very simple, actually. This is not difficult. The fact that MLAs are able to do it with all the traveling that they need to do back and forth between their ridings in British Columbia and their offices in Victoria shows that it's very possible. And frankly, you know, for any of anybody who spent any time federally, they know that ministers and MPs and their staff, even, you know, non-governmental organizations like the National Capital Commission, the one that sends out brochures about parks, they all need to post their spending online. It's called Full Accountability or the Accountability Act or Disclosure. The notion that officers of uh, parliament or legislatures are exempt from that, that, that can't continue, obviously. Yeah. Okay, so we we are apparently going to have some kind of an audit. Uh, Lamsey, the special legislative committee in charge of it, is going to have to craft it and put in a terms of reference, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, even uh, looking at the Globe and Mail this morning, I know Justine Hunter talked to uh, Carol Bellringer, this province's Auditor General. She's apparently, it seems, going to launch her own audit regardless. But from your side of things, uh, as we look for someone to come in and drill down and figure what the hell went wrong, who should that person be? We want somebody from completely outside. We ideally want somebody who has never darkened the door of the Victoria legislature. We want somebody the caliber of Sheila Fraser, the former federal auditor general, or Bonnie Lissick, uh, who worked both in Manitoba and blew a lot of whistles in Ontario. And we need that person, that form of an auditor, to come to British Columbia, sit down and go through every molecule of spending that's been going on in the bc legislature and this is nothing against the current auditor general that we have on hand here in british columbia but it's in order to instill or reinstill trust and confidence of the british columbia people because as you know when you're dealing with things like transparency you need the perception of transparency as well it can't just be factual transparency or factual thoroughness. People need to have confidence in the system. And I think most British Columbians would have more confidence if they saw somebody that they already knew from the news media, already trusted their work, but knew they had absolutely nothing to do with BC politics to fly in here and to do this. All right. Uh, the other big question on the audit, Chris, is how far back should it go? Because uh, there has been some suggestion that if Craig James is indeed sort of the, the leading the charge on this thing, then perhaps we go back to September of 2011 when he was first appointed to the job. But what do you think? As far back as possible, uh, because really it doesn't matter when it was spent, it was spent, and it's all taxpayer dollars. So as far back as whoever is doing the audit can actually go, I don't know how long they've kept records for or which records have maybe been gone, uh, but as frankly as far back as these people can go when they're doing this audit. And again, this is in order to, re- to try to gain some trust back and try to gain some confidence back. When I was reading uh, some of the reports going back, so for example, Rob Shaw, I know you speak with him often at the Vancouver Sun, where he's detailing some of the things that he discovered over the many years and the kind of blowback and pushback he was getting from MLAs. These are elected politicians who spend our money. And the idea that they would be reluctant to show how they're spending their money, (laughs) that's just a non-starter. And so it's that culture, it's that 
attitude that must be completely rinsed from the legislature. It's, it's like one of those, you know, uh, labors of Hercules where he had to divert a river in order to clean out the stable. Well, we need somebody of that caliber to go, you know what, this place is getting cleaned out. Well, that raises an interesting question because uh, we have two gentlemen who have been at the eye of the storm in Gary Lenz and Craig James. Um, but we have a culture that apparently has been in the legislature uh, long before them and has proceeded into their tenure. Um, is it just these two gentlemen, Chris, or are you worried that this sort of culture of entitlement, uh, that the rot has really sunk into the building and perhaps there could be others out there who were involved or up to their own you know, wrongdoing or whatever the situation may be? We're very worried about that because the responses that I was reading uh, from the different journalists who've been covering this now for years, and yourself included, um, that gives me pause because that gets down to culture. It gets down to the I'm entitled to expense my pack of gum or my Tic Tacs. And remember, that is what really tipped the scales with uh, misspending in Ottawa, of course, when then Minister David Dingwall explained that he expensed a 50-cent pack of gum because he could because he was entitled to his entitlements. And that's what really set off, uh, I find, the outrage of Canadian taxpayers. Because most of us can understand how simple and flippant a pack of gum is at a gas station. And the notion that you would turn to your neighbor behind you in line and say, hey, buy this for me. That's what really gets to people. And if that thinking starts um, affecting everything else you're doing, your travel, uh, your expenses for your office, um, the fact that, you know, I think, for example, a previous speaker had a computer terminal worth around $30,000 installed. I mean, this sort of stuff just can't happen. Yeah. So that is where we really want somebody from the outside, maybe who's somebody who had a role in the Federal Accountability Act, to come in and say, this is based a lot on perception and entitlement, and it's got to change now. And again, we don't know if these two individuals who are having these allegations made against them, we don't know if this is true. We need a forensic audit, and we need uh, the RCMP to speak up, and we need answers there. So, but the allegations made by the speaker are jaw-dropping. And I would put it out this way. The way that the speaker is speaking and the way that he is conducting himself as kind of a fact-finder crusader, he could start. He could start posting his own expenses today. Um, he could be the one to take the first step as an officer of the legislature, you know, between the clerk, sergeant at arms, speaker, deputy speaker, all those people who wear those black and white robes. He could be the first one to start today to say, you know what, I'm going to lead by example and I can start posting my receipts online. He can even just do it, just start your own website and take a picture of your receipts with your smartphone. It would take a few seconds. Mm, lead by example. Yeah. Uh, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to chatting with you in the future, but this is a particularly egregious story, and I wanted to get your take on it. So thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for the time. That's Canadian Taxpayer Federation's BC Director, Chris Sims. We'll take a quick break, and then we're going to flip the script on this story a little bit with Acumen Law's Kyla Lee right after this. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local News Now. Digging deeper into the day's top stories. You're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Welcome to the Woodford Show. Uh, pleasure to have you tuning in. Uh, we always appreciate that. Uh, my next guest has an interesting take on this whole legislature controversy. Welcome to the show. From Acumen Law, uh, lawyer Kyla Lee. Good morning, Kyla. 
Good morning, Shane. Thank you for having me. Yeah, good to have you on. Uh, pinch hitting at that, which I really appreciate. Um, okay, Kyla, uh, you, uh, as a lawyer, uh, were sort of uh, telling me a little off the air when we were kind of going back and forth on uh, DMs. Um, we have this Plekis report. It's 76 pages of some really, really egregious allegations that's grabbing headlines right, left, and center. From a lawyer's perspective, if you're representing uh, Mr. Lenz and Mr. James, is this, oh my God, my clients are screwed, or is it something else? No, it's not, oh my God, my clients are screwed. I, I think this is a gift to the defense. The best thing you can have as a defense lawyer is the star witness in the case against your clients, giving numerous statements to media, producing reports. Every time you have a prior statement, you get the opportunity to identify prior inconsistencies and impugn the reliability of those allegations. How do you go about doing that? Because we got a little tawdry list of, of uh, what seem to be just jaw-dropping spending abuses that have been trotted out in front of people and, then, and in the court of public opinion. How do you go about turning that around? Well, I think one of the major ways to do that in a case like this would be to show that, that Mr. Plunkett didn't follow um, correct procedure when he identified that there was a potential concern. He didn't contact the Auditor General. He didn't, you know, engage an accounting company to do a forensic audit or anything like that. He followed these people around, essentially, made observations, collected uh, evidence, and, and put himself in the role of an investigator. And by doing so, that raises sort of an appearance, or the defense might argue, that that raises an appearance of, of a bias inherent in his observations, that he's not an independent observer of something that happened. He's now somebody who's got his mind turned towards finding the evidence that fits his predetermined conclusion. Wow, that spells trouble. Um, uh, the Legislative Assembly Committee that kind of governs this thing has asked uh, Mr. Lenz and Mr. James for a full response in writing uh, by February the 1st. And then my understanding is based on what that comes, they're going to move, uh, quote-unquote, swiftly on their uh, employment future. Um, if you're representing them, what do you do about that? I think you advise them not to give a response or you very carefully prepare a response with a, a sort of vague denial of the allegations. The last thing you want to do is give a very detailed response to the information and, and you know, show your hand as defense counsel because one of the things that you have um, in uh, the way our legal system is structured is the ability to keep your defense a secret and while they're under investigation to ask them to provide this type of information could compromise their defense. Does it compromise an existing RCMP investigation? I mean, we don't know what they're investigating. It's something of a mystery. I do note in the Plekis report, one of the first lines in the preface is that uh, the two special prosecutors refuse to accept this report. So we don't know what's going on over there, but does this compromise that? Uh, it may. It may compromise the investigation because if, if Mr. Plekis engaged in, in something, some type of investigation on his own that was outside what the RCMP was investigating or collected evidence that countered what the RCMP was investigating, that could eliminate uh, the potential for those charges to proceed. Um, and so it is, it, that's the reason why it's very dangerous for people who aren't professional investigators to start doing the work of investigators. So, again, uh, we don't know. I mean, these are allegations. We don't know where this road ends, whether there's criminal charges, what happens in, in the court of law. There's lots and lots of question marks here. But in your professional opinion, what's the risk right now to taxpayers of this province that this ends up in some way with Mr. Lenz or Mr. James or both filing a lawsuit against the people of British Columbia with how they were treated and how their reputations were abused? 
This could be a, a potential for millions of dollars um, from taxpayers, not only in defending uh, the cost of defending such a lawsuit, but also, you know, if there was malice um, found by the court or some type of wrongful prosecution uh, or wrongful termination of, of very high-level government positions with good salaries, you could see um, a million dollars easily, millions of dollars being paid out um, in compensation for those uh, for those claims. So. We're, as taxpayers, we should be very nervous about this report. We should be glad that the legislature is looking into spending, but we should be nervous about how this happened because it does expose us to potential significant liability. How do we get out of that exposure? Is it something as like, um, you know, they're found guilty on whatever, you know, say they're charged with 15 different things. I'm just pulling stuff out of the air. And one of those charges is successful with a guilty, uh, with a guilty or a sentencing and all that kind of jazz. Is, is, is this criminal charge that sticks that gets us out of that situation or no? Yes, if a fraud-related criminal charge um, associated with the same information in the Plekis report did stick um, and there was a conviction, then we would probably be in the clear for paying, you know, for significant damages on a lawsuit. Um, but again, we don't know what, um, what the RCMP is investigating and whether or not it's related to this. Um, I, I mean, I suspect at this point that it is, the reason being that the mysterious reappearance of the wood splitter and the trailer, um, as well as the fact that um, they hired a white-collar crime lawyer to defend them, that, you know, to me, hints that this is related, but we don't know. Interesting. Uh, what was your thought as you read this report? I was gobsmacked. <laughs> I could not believe the nature of the allegations. And, um, I mean, if they're true, there is a very strong case for fraud charges uh, to be laid against these individuals. They're expensing things, if this is true, uh, that are very clearly not business-related gifts for family members, um, suits that aren't necessary for business. Um, it's something that we should be concerned about if this is happening in the legislature. Yeah, what about the bigger items? Uh I don't know if there is a legal case to be made or not, but I mean, at least one case, Mr. James is alleged to have tried to get some kind of a retirement payout in the hundreds of thousands of dollars for a program uh, that ended 25 years previously. And if it's proven in criminal court that that was something that he did fraudulently, that he wasn't entitled to that, and that he essentially misled the speaker into giving him that payout, um, he could be facing multiple years in jail. These types of large-scale um, frauds using public money uh, generally result in lengthy jail sentences. <laughs> well, I get the sense from you, Kyla, there's going to be a long road yet ahead, despite all the public opinion on this that we've seen play out in the last 24 to 48 hours. Absolutely. Kyla, thanks so much for joining me. Always a pleasure to talk. Thanks for having me. That is Kyla Lee, a lawyer with Acumen Law. We speak to her frequently, always provides some really dazzling insight, and she certainly delivered there. I will take a quick break here on the Woodford Show. On the other side, uh, we're going to get, well, all the leaders are talking today, but uh, we're going to start off here on the Woodford Show with the leader of the B.C. Green Party, Andrew Weaver, who will join us on the other side of this commercial break. Local News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. The voice of your community. You're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Gray overcast day here in Kamloops. Thank you for tuning in to the Woodford Show. My pleasure to be joined now by the leader of the B.C. Green Party, Andrew Weaver. Andrew, welcome. 
Well, uh, thanks for having me, Shane. Yeah, good to have you on. Good to hear your voice. Uh, you're, I guess, the first of a complete set since uh, the Premier and uh, and the leader of the BC Liberals are going to uh, address the media a little later after the show ends as well. So uh, you get to start things off. Well, I would suggest I was the first, actually, not the last. <laughs> two, day, two days ago. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, Andrew, uh, you have, uh, you've asked Linda Reed to step aside in the light of allegations made by a whistleblower about what looked like some pretty egregious expense claims. Uh, she has come out and defended herself, kind of dancing around the topic a little bit with a statement. My understanding is Andrew Wilkinson uh, will address some of that when he speaks to media uh, shortly after the show ends today. But uh, Linda Reed did tell Global BC that she is the most transparent speaker in the history of the legislature. I'm curious what you think of that. Well, that's you know, very, very troubling if that is indeed the case. Uh, you know, the Plekis report was a complete bombshell. It outlined a culture of entitlement uh, that clearly went back to at least 2010, uh, which spanned her uh, speaker role and also the speaker before it. You know, in, in the, uh, there's two things in that report that are very, very troubling. Number one is that there was a, a report that was commissioned by the speaker, uh, written by a woman named Joanne, who's identified in the report, that went in to look into some of the allegations which were, that were outlined with respect to the retirement allowances. That report was apparently placed on file and has since gone missing. So where is that report, number one? And second, second thing, of course, is the whistleblower named her as the one who was the, 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 the person that uh, led to his uh, being fired after he questioned the, uh, uh, the travel expenses. So, you know, the reality is that the legislature has to rebuild public trust, and one of the first things it can do is to ensure that it actually runs on a database basis with the trust of the MLAs. When you are an assistant deputy speaker, you have been uh, given an enormous responsibility in the legislature to guide the day-to-day -day operations. And I can tell you, quite frankly, I don't know who to trust in the BC legislature right now. And if I don't know who to trust, I can imagine many British Columbians don't know who to trust. And, and honestly, she has got to step aside. We will not support her going forward as a speaker in light of the fact as an assistant deputy speaker, in light of the fact that she has been named in this report, much of these allegations occurred under her watch. And, and frankly, we need to get to the bottom of it. The best thing for Linda Reed is for her to step aside now, get out of the way, let people go and investigate this, and then if she is, if everything is found to be above board, as she is implying, then so be it. We'd be happy to support her coming back. But right now, we have to move forward. When you say you're not going to support her, what does that mean? What kind of muscle do you possess there? Well, the, the, we, you know, we, the, the speakers are elected. The speaker, the deputy speaker, and the assistant deputy speaker are elected by the House. There's a number of ways to actually uh, force that issue, one of which, of course, is actually standing on a point of order and, 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 and essentially uh, saying one has lost confidence in the assistant deputy speaker. Uh, I'd rather not do that because I'd rather the speaker, uh, the assistant deputy speaker step aside to ensure that we can actually get to the bottom of this. But if she doesn't step aside, then something will have to, as a legislator, at least debate whether or not that's the appropriate action for it. I, I just cannot see how she would try to hold on in that capacity in light of the fact that she was the speaker and she is named uh, and there is an investigation going on. I mean, what sort of hubris is that? Talk about sense of entitlement if you think it's okay to sit in that position while the investigations are going while you were speaker and while the uh, travel expense reports are being examined for which you've been uh, uh, identified. It just, it, just, it just underlines the kind of hubris that clearly is prevalent within the B.C. Liberal Party and their grand sense of entitlement. You know, I remember 
saying, you know, you have your local MLA, Peter Millibar, going into a tizzy about occasional lunches by ministers of the Crown who live in Victoria. Uh, you know, holy moly, does that put that in comparison with what we're dealing with now? You know, where are the BC Liberals on this? They should be calling for Linda Reid to step aside as well. Yeah, well, we'll see what Andrew Wilkinson has to say shortly here. Uh, let's talk about how we deal with this. Uh, first and foremost, there's going to be some kind of an audit. Lamsey will determine the scope, uh, terms of reference, and all that jazz. Uh, I note that Justine Hunter is reporting this morning in the Globe and Mail that Auditor General Carol Bellringer sounding like she's going to launch her own audit, audit regardless. But uh, audit uh, local, audit from outside the province, what's best suited to deal with the situation in your mind? So this is a decision that Lampsey should make. Lampsey is the Legislative uh, Management Committee. It's an all-party committee. Uh, our representative on Lampsey is Sonia First now from Cowichan Valley. Uh, so my, Lampsey recommended an outside audit if uh, things have changed and Lampsey is willing to or wanting or desiring uh, the audit to be in, uh, internal that, uh, or using the Auditor General. I'm fine with that. Uh, I'd prefer to know what was the thinking behind Lampsey's original uh, request before you know passing judgment on what is or is not appropriate. I, I, but again, I, I think all British Columbians want to ensure we get to the bottom of this. We want an ethical, fair and trusted process, and let's just get there the best way we can. Two guys at the center of this, as you well know, Gary Lenz, Craig James, uh, they're wearing all this right now. But I'm curious from your perspective, as, as you've uh, discussed, uh, this sense of entitlement that this rot in the legislature has been existing for a long time. Uh, matter of fact, speakers, senior legislative staffers over the years have signed off on some of these expenses, be they right, be they wrong. Uh, in your mind, uh, how do we deal with that? Is it a matter of extending the audit back uh, a whole bunch of years? Does there need to be a house cleaning at the legislature? How do you deal with the culture that seemingly exists there? Well, a couple of things need to happen. First off, in uh, on Tuesday of this week, uh, or actually Monday was it, we were pointing out that the report goes back at least to 2010. The, uh, the uh, forensic financial audit needs to go back to, the, to when Craig James came into the role of clerk. Uh, you will recall that he came in a very unusual yeah, the, there was a normally you have unanimous decision, and in, in this particular case, the NDP voted against him coming in because it was an appointment without competition, and it was deemed to be very unusual. So, an audit going back to at least that time, uh, I, I, I think that this is, uh, you know, uh, this is this is very serious. Um, the allegations in the report have their fingers deep within the BC Liberal Party. You know, I, I don't know how, how where they're standing on all of this, but I, I can see this is just only the beginning. It's like we've just lit a fuse to a, uh, you know, a, a powder keg, which happens to be an ammunition dump. And I, I, I just don't know where, where this is going, but I, I, I'm sure right now across British Columbia, there are all sorts of people picking up the phone, finding their email, and sending the Speaker's office more information that they think uh, this is what happens with, with whistleblowers. It takes one or two really bold, courageous people to stand forward, and then the floodgates open. So I, I don't want to judge where this is heading, although I think it's extraordinarily serious. I think it goes far beyond Mr. Craig James and Mr. Gary Lenz, and let's just see how far and how deep it goes. And uh, there are going to be a bunch of questions that need to be addressed. Should Craig James and Gary Lenz be fired, Andrew? Uh, again, I'm not. That is not. Uh, that is something I, I like to follow. Process on this. Lampsey is, has been tasked uh, with making a recommendation to the House. Uh, Lampsey will. Uh, the, one of the recommendations they've been asked to do is to choose one of four options. 
should they be reinstated? Uh, should they be terminated? Uh, should they continue on leave with or without pay? They have four choices to make. Uh, I will respect the discussions that will go on behind those, that, that uh, in camera there, and I don't think people should be tried publicly in terms of uh, those discussions. So I'll support the Lampsy decision, however that goes. Although I see it, I, I, I don't know right now how, how uh, Mr. Lambs and Mr. James could have the confidence of the House coming back. The question is, how do we move forward? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, last question on this topic. Uh, we have an RCMP investigation. We have the processes you noted within the legislature itself. Uh, we'll probably have something in the way of, of a legal process in the courts, uh, potentially, if charges are, are brought about. But uh, as you look at the 76-page report and this tawdry list of allegations, this misspending that's alleged there, uh, suitcases, um, uh, all sorts of stuff, that, that, that wood chipper, <laughs> all the stuff, uh, in your mind, at the end of the road and all this, should Craig J. James and Gary Lenz be found that they've done something wrong. Should they should they be culpable to return? You know whether it's some kind of uh, financial reparations or, or material things that, that they bought. Should they return those to the people? Again, you know, I I don't want to prejudge what a judge, if this were to be viewed as criminal, were to say. I think uh, the court of public opinion, though, is is such that they're probably wondering how you could justify these and and whether or not they should be paid back. So let's just let's just uh, see that. But you know, Shane, to me, the most egregious aspect of this we haven't discussed, and that is two things. Number one, there was a report. That, went, that, that apparently investigated the claims with respect to the retirement allowance. That report was filed and that report was went missing. And it was only because another whistleblower happened to keep a copy of that report, that, which I'd love to see, it, that we've actually know that it exists. That's very troubling. That's, that's about, you know, if that turns out to be true, these allegations, that, that there's a, there has been cover-up for various issues. And the second thing that honestly is, is really, really troubling to me is the 39 documented day trips that the uh, clerk took, of which an overwhelming number were, were two B.C. Liberal offices to meet Speaker Bill Beresov, meet Speaker, uh, former Premier Christy Clark, Mike DeYoung, numerous B.C. Liberal, uh, Jeff Plant, former Attorney General. These are, are clearly people with relationships with the B.C. Liberals. What on earth are, is the Speaker and clerk doing after the, the election, after the House has switched to have a BC NDP minority government. What on earth is a so-called nonpartisan officer doing with all these trips to clearly partisan offices and for partisan meetings? This, to me, is scandalous, and I, I think we need to get to the bottom of that. And, you know, I, I would like to know how many times he visited the BC Green, well, I can tell you, zero, BC Green offices and BC Green constituencies, zero. Mm. How about the BC NDP? Where are those trips? This, to me, strikes the very heart of what we need to get to the bottom of, the independence of that office. Why was he hired? What, how independent was office? And what are the relationship between that office and the B.C. Liberals, as alleged in that report? This, to me, needs to get to the bottom of And frankly, uh, I think British Columbians deserve answers in a timely fashion. No more spin from Mary Pollack. No more trying to blame Daryl Plekis for, 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 for this and that. No more spin from Andrew Wilkinson. But actually, honest answers to strong questions that British Columbians want. You can tell in my voice that I'm very upset by this, Shane. This is, you know, this, this is 
this is just, I didn't get into politics to walk into a, a pig's, pig's den of corruption and, and overspending. This is just, I, I, I don't even know where to begin with my, my, my outrage over what I'd be reading in the Plectus Report. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot to be outraged by, in fairness. Uh, Andrew, uh, we'll have to let you go. Uh, I wanted to get a question in on the Nanaimo thing, but we've run fresh out of time, so uh, uh, we'll have to see how your party does there next week. Oh, it'll be interesting in Nanaimo, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a by-election, lots of things for people to think about. For sure. Uh, Andrew, thanks for taking some time. Always appreciate our chats. Take care. Thanks, Shade. That's the leader of the B.C. Green Party, Andrew Weaver. Uh, we'll take a quick break here on the Woodford Show. On the other side, we'll dive into a different issue. Uh, looks like a, uh, a strain of turbine, uh, bovine tuberculosis has been found in a cattle herd down in the Nicola Valley that's never been seen before in North America. We'll talk to the B.C. Cattlemen's Association about that next. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Shane Woodford on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Woodford Show. A strain of bovine tuberculosis never seen before in North America has popped up in a cattle herd in the Nicola Valley. We thought we'd talk about that with the BC Cattlemen Association General Manager, Kevin Boone, who joins us this morning. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing good. Excellent. Uh, so, uh, first things first, uh, a little concerning. We're seeing uh, what, uh, according to uh, the CFIA uh, and Canada's leading veterinarian, are calling the first ever of its kind or uh, variation of uh, bovine tuberculosis in some cows, I believe, in the Nicola Valley, but maybe you know a little bit better about the location than I do. Uh, first off, uh, have you heard about this? And, and then, B, what's your concern level? Um, yeah, we, we're very up to speed on it. Uh, this was discovered actually uh, back in late October uh, through an animal that went through uh, the plant in Alberta. It uh, has been traced back to a ranch uh, in, in the uh, Nicola area in the, the central interior there. And uh, they are going through testing protocols and whatnot that are uh, very standard uh, to tuberculosis. This is not uh, necessarily... Unexpected to have tuberculosis uh, crop up once in a while. We had our last case here in 2011 in British Columbia, and we expect to see them from time to time. So um, that's, you know, kind of a, a really cold notes version of where we're at right now. Um, they are in the testing process, and that's quite a rigorous program that will probably take up to two years to complete. Um, because it is a reportable disease and we are on an eradication program, they do have um, a very rigorous program in place to do that eradication. Okay. So if tuber uh, tuberculosis itself isn't that, you know, isn't that uncommon, uh, what about this deal about this particular strain, apparently never seen before in North America? Is that aspect of it concerning? Well, you know, so there's, you know, that's one aspect that there's different viewpoints on, is, you know, where did it come from? And that's part of what this investigation uh, will probably determine on it. Um, you know, it's not necessarily uncommon to see rare strains or ones that haven't been seen before in a in an area um, crop up because it's, it's a, a, a very tricky disease when you start and follow it to both find and to eradicate and i think that you know there's there's some positives in this as well um as i said uh, previously we have seen other cases crop up and we do see them uh from time to time and the, the 
really good aspect of, of looking at this is because it's not a strain we've seen, it means that we've been successful in eradicating those other strains. And, uh, you know, if it was one that we had seen before, it would be kind of a matter of, okay, where was it hiding? Uh, where was it at uh, during this time uh, that we didn't see it? And so the fact is that they've been... Uh, successful in removing those other strains out of the system so we do see it now the question is where did it come from and uh, as i said because of the nature of tuberculosis it moves in different ways and it, it can crop up in different areas and so um, trying to find out uh, just where the strain come, uh, comes from is part of that investigation and as that investigation goes on will uh, they not we uh, CFIA and the, the uh, veterinarians will uh, try and determine that and what the impact would be on it. But, uh, you know, it, I, I wouldn't say it's any more cause for alarm uh, than finding another strain. It's just a matter of uh, it is a different strain. All right, perfect. Uh, back to a point you made just a minute ago about uh, the testing, and it could take as long as two years for all the testing to be complete. Does that throw a significant monkey wrench in the operations of the of the cattle rancher involved, or, or no? Well, it, it certainly does, because when uh, the testing is going on uh, and, and the aspects of the protocols they follow, uh, there's stop movement um, restrictions put on that um, that herd so they can't uh, move any cattle off the place they're they're basically quarantined to the place so it it uh, number one um, affects their ability to to make ends meet and to uh, have income if they can't sell their cattle they haven't got income coming in but the bills still um, are there to pay so that certainly is a, um, a, a something they have to contend with but then uh, the testing itself um, is is pretty um, intense for them. It uh, requires handling the cattle um, two or three times uh, to do the testing. In some cases, it uh, might require them to depopulate some of the cattle uh, in those cases. So just depending on what that investigation shows depends on uh, what it is. And it, it um, also, because they have to look at and um, not only that herd that it was found in, but what other places could that um, herd have been in contact with other animals that might have spread to. So it's it's a trace in and trace out where they have to um, look at other herds that um, might have been in contact. So who did they sell cattle to? Who did they buy cattle from? Uh, what cattle might have been uh, intermixed with theirs? And it goes back for five years uh, that... Uh, that this uh, that they, that they test the cattle for, so this current um, uh, investigation uh, already stretches beyond the borders of uh, British Columbia. There's cattle being tested in Alberta and Saskatchewan as well um, that have been identified as uh, possible uh, herds at risk, and so it's a big part of doing the due diligence. So. When I say the investigation will take two years, it doesn't mean that the investigation on that ranch will take two years, but the investigation of the disease will take two years and this strain and to try and uh, get an understanding of where it came from. And because we have an eradication program in place, 
um, it, it's going to be a matter of those numbers will go up and down of which herds are being done over that course of two years, and it will take that amount of time just to make sure that uh, the due diligence has been done to make sure that they are uh, doing what is necessary to uh, make sure that, that the disease uh, is not a factor in, in our production practices. Okay, so it sounds like a case, although uh, incredibly complicated, it sounds like a system that, that's working well and that we can have some kind of comfort in as, as far as guarding the food supply then. Well, it is. Uh, like, you know, when, as I say, the fact that this is a, an, a strain that we haven't seen before uh, should give us confidence that our, our system of monitoring and finding it is working. We are finding it. If we weren't finding it, we, uh, we may need to be more concerned than the fact that we are. The fact that we're not finding it in in big occurrences um, is is uh, also a positive, and the fact that uh, you know it's showing that the past has uh, done it now. That doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be more research, and that uh, we don't uh, we aren't concerned about any case that happens. It's just that uh, you know it's nothing certainly for uh, the public to be concerned about because it's not getting into the food chain. It's not a huge. Uh, uh, risk to the human population, and, but it is one that uh, we want to make sure doesn't become one. And so I think that uh, everything is being done in that and that uh, we have very uh, high standards and, and strict protocols to, uh, to follow here in Canada. And uh, I think that uh, there there's a uh, real good level of reassurance in that uh, system uh, that we are protecting our food supply and, and producing a good healthy product out there. Uh, Kevin, always appreciate the time and I'm sure we'll be chatting uh, lots leading up to the summer and through it as well. You betcha. I always appreciate it, Shane, and uh, take care. That was the general manager of the Cattlemen's Association, Kevin Boone. Thanks to him and all my guests today. And that's it for the Woodford Show. I'll be right back here on Radio NL same time tomorrow, although the name of the show changes. Inside Politics coming your way Friday morning. Where the interior stays connected. This is CHNL in Kamloops, a Stingray radio station. Radio NL, 610 AM. Local News Now.